our times here at the waterfront, we are going to be spending some time looking at moments in the life of Jesus as recorded in the biographies of him in the New Testament, the Gospels, where he has these meaningful one-on-one encounters with people. And, and my heart with this is, listen, like I think Jesus is incredibly compelling. I think the church has, has often throughout its history and even currently today gotten in the way to make Jesus a lot more complicated than he is. We don't live up, obviously, to who Jesus is, and so we can often distort the picture of who Jesus is. But, but my prayer throughout the summer, as we look at these moments of one-on-one encounters with Jesus, that we would see him for who he is. We would see him for how he encounters everyday people And that we might actually experience encountering Jesus ourselves as we dive into these moments. The first one we're going to look at today is the story of a man named Nathaniel. And if you have your lyric handout, I actually have the the passage of scripture we're going to be looking at printed on the front of it. This is from the the New Living Translation. and, And this is early on in John's biography of Jesus. John being one of Jesus' close followers early in his career. And and this story comes right after Jesus is baptized. Jesus is just kind of beginning his itinerant preaching career where he's going around as, as a traveling rabbi who as a teacher at the time would gather disciples, gather followers who would spend their lives learning and following and imitating their rabbi to try to become holy people who would, would honor God with their lives. Jesus, kind of falling in line with this tradition, he goes and he finds different disciples to come and to follow him. And so we read this story of Jesus starting things out by going and gathering around him a group of disciples. And what's interesting about the disciples that Jesus has, you know, if you grew up in church, you think of the 12, right? And the, the 12 disciples, you know, you, you remember some of their names and no one remembers Thaddeus and Bartholomew and all those kind of things, right? But, but Jesus gathered around him a really eclectic group of people. Some of them were experienced disciples, so to speak. In fact, some of them had been disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who was a a preacher in the wilderness. And they had devoted their lives to to learning under John. But when Jesus came along, they said, no, we're going to follow him. So they knew what it was like to, to live their lives modeling after a teacher. But also, Jesus picked the ones that kind of like on the playground growing up at school were like the last ones to get picked for soccer. You know what I mean? Who, who was the last one picked? Were, others like me, like where, you know, the, the really good players who they played soccer during the summer, they were going to be the first ones picked. And sometimes if you got picked and you weren't last, you felt like it was like a charity pick. You know what I mean? Like a pity pick. You're used to being the last one. Jesus chose disciples who in, in other, other senses would have been the last pick. He picked these, these guys who were fishermen from small towns. Does that ring any bells? He picked, he picked these, these guys who they probably dropped out of, of Hebrew school and they went to pick up their father's trade and were fishing on the waters. There were others who came along and just hearing of Jesus said, listen, I want to come and to follow you. And so we're going to pick up our reading of John's gospel today in chapter 1, verses 43. 
it says this, and I'll drink some water. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. I moved to Montague seven years ago. Seven years ago this summer. I grew up in Charlottetown, and, and the summer I was moving here, I was getting a haircut. I won't say where in Charlottetown, by someone who grew up in this area. And I had mentioned, hey, I'm moving to Montague this summer. And she says, you're moving to Montague. She's like, normally people your age are moving from Montague. Which that really struck me as someone like who grew up there. Like, you know, I thought there'd be more kind of like pride of, of where you grow up, which, you know, I've seen that here. And I've also seen young people saying, like, Montague, I got to get out of here. Like, I got to grow up and I got to find somewhere on the main, I'm going to move to Ontario. Notice how everyone from Ontario is moving back now. Anyway, it's a whole other sermon. But this, this sentiment of, listen, this small town, like, what good comes from here? What good can happen here? I think sometimes can be a mentality that we have as, as islanders, as small town or rural islanders especially, of like, yeah, it's cool that those things happen, but they don't happen here. This, this is a small town. Nathaniel, who says Nazareth, what good comes from Nazareth? He knows the small town life. He's from a town called Bethsaida, which literally means fisher town. Like, he grew up in a small town of fishermen, he knows the small town mentality. And for him, if this Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for for centuries was going to come into the world, was going to make an impact by God w reaching into his creation to redeem it to himself, there's no way he was going to do it with someone from Nazareth. Maybe someone from Jerusalem. Maybe someone from Jericho. Maybe someone from some town that had some symbolic or historical importance. And I think sometimes you and I can think the same way. We can be like Nathaniel who says, Montague, Murray Harbor. What good can come from there? What could God actually do here? It'll be with someone important. Or someplace big, or so, someplace that's more on the map. When you zoom out in Google Maps, the, the name stays there a little bit longer. But guess what? It can happen here. God can do what he wants, not just in the, the big places, but in the small. God can do big things, not only in big places, and God can do extraordinary things with, to put it bluntly, unextraordinary people. And I think that's a word for us today, that it doesn't have to be in, in Charlottetown or Halifax or Toronto or New York or London or some kind of global city to see a move of God or to see God actually intervene and transform lives. It can happen here and it can happen in you.
And we better not discount that God could actually do something profound in my life because I'm just an average Joe from a small town. I love the word of, the, of Philip to the skeptical Nathaniel. He says, well, just come and see. What good can come from Nazareth? Well, just come and see. And so Nathaniel, he comes with Philip, and as they approach Jesus, the, the passage continues, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, meaning this is someone who, who genuinely loves God, he, he, he cared about his spiritual life and, and his devotion to God. A man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now, this moment here in this passage is showing us that Jesus isn't just some ordinary rabbi. Like, more than just some traveling preacher who's going around and collecting disciples. There's something about Jesus that he saw Nathaniel. He knew him from far away before Philip approached him. He knew what Nathaniel was experiencing under the fig tree. And, and this is showing us that there's something to this guy, that we can't just dismiss him as, oh, he was some cool teacher 2,000 years ago. He was just some historical figure that we have, you know, writings of in, in these ancient documents and in the, you know, historical record of Josephus. No, there's, there's something about him that demands more than that. He claims to be more than just a regular guy. He knew Nathaniel before Nathaniel even met him. So all of a sudden, there's a weight to Jesus and who he is. If this is a guy who can, who can say, listen, I knew what you were thinking. I knew what you were doing over under the fig tree before Philip even approached you. All of a sudden, you're going to take this guy a little bit more seriously. There's going to be some weight to his words and his identity. And for Nathaniel, that made the switch flip. Where all of a sudden, this guy from Nazareth, this, like, how can anything significant come from Nazareth? All of a sudden, he's worth paying attention to. We don't know what was going on beneath the fig tree. Like, there's no indication. Like, was Nathaniel, like, praying? Was he, like, crying out to God and having this moment of, like, I need to meet the Messiah? Was he having this moment of deep distress and doubt and deconstruction of his faith? Was he, was he someone who, like, this was a moment of, of distress? Was he in sin? Was it a good moment? Was it a bad moment? Was he wrestling with the deep, unspoken doubts? We don't know. And I think that's significant for us because Jesus did. And Jesus knew that to say to Nathaniel, listen, I saw what was going on under the fig tree was deep enough to hit Nathaniel at the core to say, okay, I trust you are who people are saying you are. And I think this is significant for us, is Jesus shows this intimate knowledge of Nathaniel before Nathaniel ever even comes to meet him. Maybe he felt unknown, like a, like a, a regular guy from a small fishing town. But Jesus not only knows Nathaniel in this moment, Jesus also knows you before you even knew him. 
Jesus knows your doubts and your questions and your fears and your hopes. Listen, I feel like throughout our lives, we go through these different stages of not really feeling known. Like I was a teenager through the like heyday of Simple Plan. That's dating me a little bit. They were like an emo band from Montreal, I think. And all their songs were like, no one understands me. And that's like a teenager jam, right? Like no one gets what's going on in me. And we lock ourselves in our rooms and we turn up the music and all that kind of thing. But I think we grow up maybe out of that as teenagers and we struggle as adults to actually feel known by people. To actually have deep and real friendships where we feel like people actually know who I am deeper than the, the face that I put on and the smile and the, oh yeah, things are good, yeah, at the grocery store. That we actually struggle for deep, intimate relationships as adults where people actually know who we are. Maybe you're frustrated because people have all kinds of assumptions and ideas of who you are rather than who you actually are based on you know, where you grew up, the parents that you have, because everyone on PEI wants to know who your parents were and judge you crazy for it. And they have all these kinds of ideas based on your past, based on, on who raised you, based on where you grew up, based on the job that you have, and you feel like no one actually knows who you are as a person. Jesus Jesus does. Just like Jesus saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, Jesus knows and sees you. He sees your value and dignity when others don't. He sees, he sees your, your sin and your selfishness and the things that you regret and wish never happened, and he went to the cross to die for them. Jesus knows your, your hopes and your fears. He knows the things that are so deeply personal that you've never shared them with anyone, even those closest to you. He knows it all and he says, I still want you, come follow me. I want you as my disciple. Come and see Jesus sees our hardships, our anxieties, our hope, the realities of what life looks like for us in the different seasons that we're going to, and he invites you and I to journey through all of that with him because he knows that we will be all the better for it. We might feel like the only place to, to be fully known is just off by ourselves, like Nathaniel under the fig tree, but Jesus' invitation is actually coming with him to find what we're looking for by following and being near him. Let's continue in the passage. Jesus asked Nathanael, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth, you will, see, you will all see heaven open and angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who's the stairway between heaven and earth. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, this might be a profound moment for you, but there are greater things ahead. 
all the things that you would imagine to be true about this Messiah, the one that you're amazed that someone from Nazareth could fulfill, there's greater things ahead. All the old stories that you had hoped were true are true, and they're even more precious in who Jesus is. This reference to the, the heavens opening and, and the angels uh, ascending and ascending on the Son of Man, this is an allusion back to early on in, in the book of Genesis, early in the Bible, the foundational stories of the Jewish people, where a man named Jacob, who would actually have his name changed to Israel, like he's the reason the people are called Israel, this foundational story where he encounters God and has this vision of, of a stairway to heaven and, and angels coming up and down. Jesus is now saying, listen, I'm here. You're going to see greater things because now I am the way that we have access to the heavenly realm. I am now the way that we have access to the creator and the one who made you and loves you. You're going to see even greater things. I think this is important for us to hear because sometimes we can dwell on the past rather than what's ahead. Sometimes we can dwell on like the past of like church history and say, oh, remember all those revivals that happened in the 17 and 1800s? Like those must have been the heyday. But Jesus invites us to reflect on his words to say greater things you will yet see. Or maybe you're someone who you've been following Jesus for a long time and that moment that you had 30 years ago at a Billy Graham crusade, that's like the pinnacle moment for you, right? And you always go back to those golden years to say, oh, that was the profound moment in my life of faith. But what if the greater years are ahead? What if, for those of you, if I can use this term, in, in your golden years of life, what if the greatest things are still actually yet to come? And the most profound and rich moments in your walk of faith are actually in front of you and the ways that God wants to use you are yet to come, not behind you. Think of Nathaniel. He has this profound first encounter with Jesus where he feels known and seen in like a supernatural way, right? But Nathaniel would go on to see Jesus heal the sick, raise someone from the dead. He would go and he would experience the, the sorrow and the grief of seeing his, his rabbi and, and teacher crucified by the Romans, but also three days later to see him rise. And for him to come to the place to say, I'm realizing that all of my doubt and my sorrow and my sin is taken care of on that cross. Like this, this glorious moment of Jesus taking upon himself the sin of humanity. Like the greater thing ahead was there for him. The best is yet to come. So the invitation for all of us this morning is like the invitation to Nathaniel is come and see the one who sees you. Spend some time considering and looking to Jesus. What if he's actually the one that is going to, to fulfill that longing that you have, that nothing else has been able to satisfy, that will make you feel known in the way that no other relationship 
has worked, who understands you in a way that no human actually takes the time to fully do, to follow the invitation to the one who knows you and died for you, and to walk with him into the greater things that are ahead. Listen, throughout this summer, we're going to see all kinds of encounters with Jesus. We're going to see some great moments. But even in our own lives, there are great things ahead that Jesus is inviting us to follow him into. And I don't want us to miss out on that. So let's come and see. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I believe that you, you are the God who created us, come in the flesh. You lived human life and died a gruesome death, but rose for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus, each one of us here is going to have to wrestle at some point in our lives with who you are and what that means for us and respond to the invitation to come and to follow, either by saying no thanks or yes, you are the King of Israel, the Son of the one I've been longing for. Jesus, my prayer is that you would be working in our hearts the way that only you can. Help us to, to be seen, to feel seen, to know that you see us. Respond to your invitation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.